Hi, Kelly Vero here. Self-styled creative badass, disruptor, NFT and metaverse investigator. And I'm on a mission to uncover the world of wine and Web3. In this special series, we'll travel from soil and seed to mint and metaverse. Why don't you join me as we take in the real voices of Napa Valley and beyond in this fabulous world of wine and Web3. Let's just get straight into the weeds. Talk to me about winemaking. This episode is all about winemaking today mm-hmm. and uh, and it, and it's not just winemaking, I think. It's also a philosophy. Would you agree with that? Oh, I mean, winemaking is so technical and so artistic at the same time. It's, I think that's one of the, one of the things that really drew me to it uh, originally. It's, it's, it's all about seeing and tasting something from someone else's perspective, which I think is such a cool uh, industry to be a part of and such a cool way to communicate and share with people. And how did you get started? Give us a little bit of a sort of quick overview of, of, of who Katie is and, and how you came to be in winemaking. Sure. Yeah. So I, I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo um, way back when, and uh, I was kind of nearing graduation and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was pretty sick of school, to be honest. And uh, someone suggested, why don't you take fall quarter off and do a harvest internship? Paso Robles is about, you know, 30 minutes away. So I thought, okay. So I applied to uh, one place. They hired me. It was actually probably the worst interview of my life. I still, I still can't believe I got the job. And actually, the guy who interviewed me is one of my best friends to, to this day. And uh, I worked... I did my internship and I worked at that winery for about nine years after college. I just fell in love. I mean, it's it's not glamorous, which I think is kind of a cool like juxtaposition of the whole idea of wine. It's high end. It's, you know, sometimes viewed as elitist and inaccessible. And really, when you get down to the mechanics of making it, it's it is not glamorous. It is, you know, lots of cleaning. We're 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 basically high end janitors, keeping everything sanitized and healthy. And uh, and yeah, so I I did I did that. I took bricks. That's all I did. I walked around. This is for anybody who makes wine. This is going to tell you how old I am. Um, I had hydrometers, which are these uh, metal or excuse me, glass kind of bulbs that measure the density of the wine and that's how you determine the bricks and I'd break like three a day but uh it didn't matter uh I was having fun I was doing a good job and yeah so I I worked there for about nine years and then um came up to Napa in 2015 and have been making Cabernet and working with some incredible sites and I just yeah I don't know I just never turned back after after that internship so I feel I feel really fortunate to kind of have stumbled upon something that has been such an important part of my life since then. What do you, what do you think is the kind of typical mindset of somebody that's in winemaking? If I was going to go into winemaking today, what type of a person do I need to be? Is there sort of, I know there isn't a personality test that everybody undertakes before they go into winemaking. I wouldn't pass it. (laughs) I'm not sure I would either, but, but what type of, 
mind do you need to have to go into it? I mean, is it really just about being at one with the the soil and the product, or is it more about you know something more Hemingway? <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna get Hemingway out of me, but uh, I think I think curiosity. I think being curious. I mean, that's I. I kind of, I, always, I tell everyone I work with, um, everyone who works for me, you know, the second you think you're, you know everything and you've mastered wherever, whatever space you're occupying in the wine industry, move on. Go live somewhere else. Go make another type of wine. Uh, the being curious and, and kind of pursuing those curiosities, whether it's through tasting or uh, talking to other winemakers or trying different techniques, um, I mean, that to me is what is the really fascinating and, and kind of where you start to grow in, um, you know, what you're, what you're able to do and, and just start to explore that entire world of wine. It's so big. It's just immense. I think that we can relate because I've been working in technology for 30 years and it's a similar sort of process, you know. You're, I mean, I know that you mentioned bricks earlier and that people have to be of a certain age to be able to know what it is that you're talking about. But the same thing follows, you know, if you started working in technology 30 years ago and you're talking about some of the kind of more antiquated ways of doing things, mm -hmm. you get the same sort of result from those things. But obviously technology drives us to a certain place where things either happen faster or it's more efficient or things are cheaper. Um, you know, I, insert your kind of uh, superlative here. But certainly I think that um, I find that when I'm talking about technology and you might be the same when you're talking about winemaking, things really in terms of the, the the pattern and process of how things are made haven't really changed. Right. It's just that the people have and the techniques have maybe become more agile. Would I mean, you agree I, with that? Oh, yeah. And it's it's funny you say that because last night I had to do, you know, kind of like a, a gut check. I'm like, okay, what's a what's an NFT? I, I know what it is, but I think I need to read a little bit more about it if I'm going to be on a, a podcast talking about it. And even in, you know, the 45 minutes I spent scrolling through my phone, reading articles about it, I learned like 20 new things. And I think that is, it's just so powerful and it just shows, you know, how things evolve and, um, you know, people who see things differently and push an idea. I mean, that's, that's where cool magic happens. And I guess the same thing follows in the winemaking industry. I think that people are always pushing to further kind of edgier technology to make things happen faster. And and that brings us, I suppose, to where we are today with the fact that there are a variety of different wine NFTs. There are certainly opportunities within the winemaking industry to work on more of a a kind of virtual level to make things happen in the physical. I'm a I'm living somewhere between two worlds. I'm definitely in the physical world, but I also incredibly more so every single day live in the digital space. Do you see that there are crossovers between those two things in winemaking as well? I, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see kind of what happens in the next, you know, couple years, next couple decades. I think you know, we, we talk a lot about this, uh, 
the, you know, in marketing, maybe not so much in, in winemaking specifically, but in, in the marketing sense of, you know, how we talk about wine and how we market wine kind of has to evolve. Like we're a little behind as an industry, you know, we, most of our uh, clientele that are buying very expensive wine, they're, you know, my dad's age and plus, and at some point we have to bring um, a younger demographic into the fold or there's going to be no one to, you know, buy our wines. So we talk a lot about this, like what, what does marketing look like, uh, you know, 10, 15 years. And, and it's, it's just really interesting to, to kind of start to peel back how people perceive wine and, uh, you know, I mean, technology is such an important role in everyone's lives every single day. How can we insert ourselves as an industry into, into that world? Uh, I mean, it's, there's, we're, we're pretty much behind. So I think it's really exciting that your industry has taken an interest in our industry. Uh, maybe you guys can bring us up to, <laughs> up to speed a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah, but I think that where these two worlds converge is the most fascinating because, you know, I, some of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today, especially, involve kind of the heritage, but also what the future heritage of winemaking looks like. Mm-hmm. That really excites me beyond belief because I think, you know, 20 years from now, when we're looking at heritage businesses, like winemaking, like what you're doing with Palmyra um, and uh, EJ Gallo wineries. I think that what is super exciting is the sort of time's arrow and what that legacy sort of leaves behind. And maybe it isn't some of the old techniques and ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And maybe we do take winemaking to more of a um, experience where we involve things like drones or, you know, mm-hmm. different types of uh, um, um, sort of feeding the ground, being more fertile, protecting the environment from climate change. These are all ways that we can use technology to be able to drive that. And certainly at the heart of what I do, I feel as though NFTs um, and Web3 generally is a good navigator through what technology might look like because you know, a few years ago, when people were releasing new products, they would use crowdsourcing. Well, we don't need to use crowdsourcing anymore. We can use things like non-fungible tokens to make stuff happen, Mm -hmm. to get people excited and bring people over to what it is that we're doing. And I would love to see what the future heritage of wine um, heritage labels looks like in the future, because that's beyond exciting to me. But a big question I've got for you, because you're a really empowering individual. (laughs) I want to know why Napa Valley? Why is Napa Valley so important to winemakers and winemaking? I, you know, I don't know. That's kind of a, it's a, it's a tricky question answering, kind of being in the middle of it. I probably could answer it better if I didn't work in Napa. You know where you are is kind of the center of your universe, but um, you know when you when you think about wine regions in California, I mean Napa is definitely a pioneering uh, place, and it's it's small. I think you know when you think of a Napa Valley, I think a lot of people think it's a very large, uh, you know, miles wide and miles long, and it's really not. It's it's a pretty finite space, 
And I think that's one of the reasons why our value kind of keeps going up and up and up because we're, we really don't have a lot more places where we can plant vineyards or we can grow. So what we have uh, is almost very coveted and prized. Um, and it's just this kind of, uh, this perspective of we, what we have is small. How do we make it better? How do we improve on it every single year? And it's, it's really fascinating to see, you know, some of the technology that's come into vineyards. We, because we warrant such a high price per ton, that's how we buy fruit is in tons. Uh, because we warrant such a high price per ton, uh, you know, vineyard managers, viticulturists are able to do really kind of groundbreaking things in their ranches because they can afford to uh, explore and try new things. And I mean, as far as you mentioned climate change and that's on everyone's mind and how do we grow grapes in a, in an environment that's rapidly changing when, you know, vineyards take five, 10 plus years to establish themselves and really kind of show what they're, what they're made of. And, uh, it, you know, there's a vineyard that I work with um, in Rutherford and they have this really awesome system set up where little micro misters will drop the temperature in the canopy like 10 degrees when it hits 95 and that cooling in the canopy preserves berry integrity it keeps things from raisining and it lets you leave the fruit on without losing tonnage which is great for the grower um, and really just preserving that quality of fruit in a really challenging growing environment and those little adaptations are going to what's going to be what gets us through challenging uh, weather events which we we know things are we see it it's not necessarily always more hot, but when it's hot, it's really hot. And when it's cold, it's really cold. You were talking about, you know, frost earlier, and we're just seeing extremes and, uh, you know, managing through that with different technologies. And, and, you know, whenever you're in an uncomfortable situation, that's when you adapt and grow. And I think that's kind of where we're at. So we're, we're moving very quickly uh, to adapt some of these things and, and utilize these technologies that really allow us to continue to make, you know, world-class wines and, and really be the pinnacle of the wine industry in, in America. The, the, the pivoting part is really interesting because we're not only going through this incredible change within the climate, but obviously within ourselves, we've gone through a lot of changes over the course of the last few years. How do you think the winemaking industry has managed to sustain itself during that time? Yeah, I mean, smart, creative, adaptive people. I think that's that's key. You know, when just the very basic part of making wine, I mean, our job is really problem solving. That's that's all we do is we we hope there are no problems. When there are no problems, everything is gravy. It's good to go. You know, does its thing. Yeast do its thing. Bacteria do its thing, and everyone's happy. When there's problems, you know, that's when you actually need a winemaker to come in and say, okay, well, this is how we're going to respond to this, or even better, this is how we're going to prevent this. And, and so it's in those, really those challenging situations. And that those are those transformative, you know, times in a winemaker's life where you start to kind of uh, really understand how to kind of play puppet master when it comes to, uh, to winemaking. So, yeah, I think those challenge, challenging scenarios are where we'll see progress and, and, you know, you start to grow and develop. Absolutely. As a woman in winemaking, and you're pretty formidable, 
What do you think is the eureka moment for you in terms of winemaking? What is the sort of watershed moment, I guess, where you sort of think, right, that's it. It's, it's like Neo in the Matrix. Yeah. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> what, when was that moment for you? Um, I mean, I think I have those moments like every day. <laughs> I, I mean, yet, literally yesterday I was, I was blending uh, Chardonnay and... Uh, you know, I've been putting together blends and you just, you just know in your gut. It's, it's all like cooking. I don't know. Do you cook? Okay. Yeah. I love to do cook. Do I cook? Look at me. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I love to cook. Cooking's the best. And you know the feeling when you like perfectly salt a sauce or, you know, you took a steak off at the perfect time and you cut into it and you're like, hell yeah. Like I crushed this. That's the same thing with, with blending wine. You just know you taste it and it's everything kind of clicks and, uh, you just you feel you feel everything kind of firing and you're like, all right, that's it. That's it. We're done. This is a, this is the blend. And so then do you take that with you? And, you know, does that change you as a winemaker? Do you always think, OK, I'm going to I'm going to constantly go after that kind of Moby Dick, if you like, <laughs> a, a, yeah. of, a, of an idea or a principle? Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I think you always want to have that feeling of this is this is perfect. This is it. You know what in whatever we're doing, whether it's a picking decision, whether it's a blend, um, you want to feel it in your gut um, that it's right. And then you use, you know, supporting chemistry and things like that to kind of validate your feelings. That's how I look at it. Um, but I think, you know, I think really good winemakers um, and, you know, something I strive to do every day is learn from those decisions and really go back and evaluate them. Hey, I, you know, I decided to pick on this day. Okay. Well, we're 18 months later. Was that right? Did, did, should I have waited another week? Should I have picked a week earlier? And then just kind of fine tuning your decision-making process uh, along the way. That's fascinating. It really is because it's so much like the industry that I work in. So it just feels like I'm talking to a fellow tech nerd oh God. in a sense and it feels incredibly comforting <laughs> I'm I, sorry that is insane because I, I read your bio before uh, this interview and I thought oh my god please don't ask, ask me anything about tech <laughs> you know but tech is something that is like very on a level right people who try and bamboozle you with tech are the worst types of people because technology and your understanding of it can be applied to many things that you do yeah. in life you know my my kind of first job was working in lgbt club and it was amazing in the uk but all of those kind of knowledge transfer partnerships are taken with you through your career to the point where you get to, okay, I, I am at that, I know Kung Fu moment now. So I'm <laughs> usually brought into sort of fixed studios or yeah. fixed problems. But my mind still goes back to that time where I had, you know, various wines that I needed to put out on the on the bar for the LGBT crowd, you know, when mm -hmm. new stuff came through. I mean, I, I was working at a time of Mad Dog 2020. So you can imagine <laughs> the state that people were in in my nightclub. But these rules can be applied as a knowledge transfer in everything yeah. that you do. So there's nothing that's ever going to be too nerdy, certainly not from my direction. <laughs> I have way too much fun listening to everybody else talking about theirs. Wait. But on that subject, yeah. sorry, 
sorry, go on. You're going to ask oh, a question. I was going to ask you, you know, from you're obviously passionate about wine, which I think is so cool. And I think this, the, you know, how you apply technology to wine and, and I mean, just the whole mental attitude around it. I think it's such a cool comparison. Um, how do you see tech's future role in, in the wine industry? Like what, if you had a dream for that cross, perfect crossover, what, where would it be? I want to see people. So I'm a really big believer that that as human beings, we're like dynamos, we're batteries that power things. Mm -hmm. And I really want to see people powering vineyards and ranches. I'm pretty inspired by some of the stuff that you talked about in one of the videos where you talked about being on your ranch as being something that's very humbling. But also I saw you alone in that ranch. And I thought to myself, if we could surround Katie <laughs> with like loads of other people, we could power maybe all of the electricity that is needed to light this place for an evening. Or while we're walking with her, we can be powering maybe equipment or robotics that could harvest for you or whatever. That's so cool. I'm a sort of huge believer in people are not gonna be taken out of the equation when it comes to technology. In mm -hmm. fact, people are going to enhance how technology works in the future that's very cool very very cool i, I think i mean that's i'm a, i'm one of those fitbit aficionados so <laughs> i really want to monitor and look at the metrics of everything and i think that we've got a golden opportunity and it's a very sweet spot between the winemaking industry and us as thinkers and and techno pioneers that we can start to think about how we can use AI and ML to support winemaking for the future. Because if we do have climate change problems that we have to solve, then it's better that we solve them using a collective hive mind across various sectors rather than trying to work in a silo to solve those problems. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing you miss so much when you work by yourself. It's so great having other, I mean, I do the same thing. I literally yesterday, um, actually my, my teammate, he is out on paternity leave right now. So I've been doing a lot of blending by myself, which is super boring. And uh, so yesterday I finally got, I you know reached out to a couple of my winemaker friends. I'm like, okay, We'll go to Bouchon for lunch. But before that, I need you guys to taste some blends. I need some feedback. And they're like, done, let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, we taste, we collaborate, we talk. Sometimes I listen to them, sometimes I don't, but <laughs> it's good to... And that's what it, that's what it feels like. Yeah. yeah, that's what the future feels like. And certainly I know that a lot of people are put off by the whole NFT concept in, in winemaking, but I'm here to tell you that it's not a scary experience. The experience actually is enhanced by people and collaboration. I think I just have one more question for you. And yeah, that please. is, that is, and I, I know that I've sort of pushed you towards that question, but what is the future of winemaking really? Does it involve people? You know, or does it involve technology? It's interesting. It's really interesting you'd say that, you'd ask that actually. Um, I, I look at it as, technology will make the people better. Um, you know, there's been attempts, I think, in the past to say, okay, well, if we can, if we can put the winemaking thought process into a program and it spits out the answer that you would have done, then we can eliminate, you know, that part of it. And I think that that's the wrong approach, 
Hopefully that's the wrong approach because that would mean I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> but, uh, but I truly think that having the ability to uh, track decisions, to understand effects of decisions through technology, to really fine-tune our craft, uh, but then have someone with, you know, the artistic vision and kind of bring in that, that more creative side of it through the person, through the winemaker, and really just kind of be the, the point where all those things come together. I mean, that's going to make you uh, a better winemaker. And I think that, I think that's the future is just kind of harnessing both those perspectives and figuring out how to, how to get them to work together. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that the faceless approach to the future of any type of comestible or consumable works, actually. I live in a, a, a place where we have like quite a lot of natural, organic, local comestibles and, and people are investing like 50% because it tastes amazing, right? but also 50% in the story, the people, mm -hmm. the heritage, the process. right? And if we take any of those factors out of the equation, we lose quite a lot of heart and soul of the product itself ultimately, which right. is why I really respect the work that you do because understanding your passion for the grape and the ground it makes the story, I think, of winemaking. Yeah. If we just kind of say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we just, we brew beer or we blend wines in these tanks, and then we just go off and have like a cup of coffee somewhere <laughs> or go for a walk down the beach or, or whatever, you've lost like 50% of the story. Right. Um, and I don't know whether people can get behind that so much. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I'm, I'm, you've like reignited my interest in the kind of pursuing some of these technological uh, aspects of winemaking. It's yeah, when you start to think about it, it's really a perfect, that's a pretty perfect match. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I am really, really grateful for you spending a little bit of time with us. Oh today. yeah, absolutely. It was fun. Um, I, I feel really inspired by you actually, because you made me realize that a lot of the things that I'm talking about, we've got kind of quite a lot of common ground in the areas that we work in respectively. Absolutely. I'm trying to push the boundaries of what it is that I'm doing with NFTs and Web3. And from a wine perspective, you're definitely pushing boundaries in terms of how you want to develop, process and create a future for winemaking. That's very important. Well, Thank this is, you. You're welcome. This was super fun. Thanks for uh, meeting the uh, the early timeline too. <laughs> well, it's not early for me. It's really late in the day and I'm just, I've had my day. It's oh, been perfect. amazing. So this has been the icing on the cake for me. Okay, well then yeah. you go have a like a big old glass of wine for me while I start my day. <laughs> don't worry, you don't have to ask me twice. I definitely will. <laughs> is there anything else that you want to say about winemaking for um, the, the podcast? Is there anything that you think that we've missed and haven't covered in the conversation? Um, I mean, I would just say, you know, anyone who could be listening that doesn't find themselves drinking wine on, on the regular, you know, don't be intimidated by it. It's such an exciting world to explore. And, um, you know, if you're uncertain about anything really what it boils down to is do you like it or do you not like it and at the end of the day that's that's it that's all that matters yeah 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 
you can apply that to anything can't you in life yeah. do you like art what type of art do you like well I like the art that I like yeah and so that's okay um, yeah so that whole knowledge transfer analogy is totally real mm-hmm. um, and so it's nice to hear that sort of come back from somebody who is a respected winemaker to sort of say is it a wine that you like carry on drinking it yeah. if so if not try something different <laughs> try something new <laughs> yeah exactly exactly thank you Katie yeah of course what an exciting conversation that was about the possible future of wine in the metaverse thank you so much to Katie Vogt for lending her expertise and her insights And we're looking forward to digging more into this over the next few episodes. So sit tight. To keep in the loop with Cuvée Collective, take a look for us on Discord, Instagram and cuvéecollective.com. And don't forget that you can download, review and share this podcast wherever good pods are casted. Until next time, take care.